0: Welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Welcome, church. My name is VJ. I'm one of the pastors here at The Well, and I'm so happy to be joined with uh, today by my wife, Jen. Um, this, we're in a series, uh, called the sounds of summer, where we're learning from different Jesus people in our congregation, in our community, part of our friend network. Um, and so a couple of months ago, when we were talking about doing the series, I said, oh, hon, like you should preach. And then she's like, oh, I don't know. I said, well, let's do it together. So we are trying this out. Um, and so we're excited to do this together. Uh, also I'm excited to tell you something about us. This is no ordinary glass of water this is actually something that represents um, our relationship. Um, I am someone who would look at something like this and say, that's half full. In fact, it's over half, which means you could probably round it up. It's pretty much full. It's like a full glass of water. Jen, as I discovered over the years that we've been married, would look at that and say, no, that's not half full. And for me, earlier on, I just thought that was pessimism, negativity. I'm positive, positivity is one of my strengths. Um, But what I've actually started to realize is that she would say to me, why is it so hard for you to accept the fact that half of that is actually empty? Maybe just not in touch with reality. Um, So she would say, well, no, I'm actually more in touch with reality than he is. Now, um, joking aside about um, glasses of water, this has actually created conflict at times in our relationship uh, where we see things so differently from these perspectives. It's made, um, you know, when, we, when it comes to more important conversations, sometimes those are difficult conversations. Um, one of the things I was thinking about was actually... Um, something that we started to, it was actually hard to do when we first got married, but we learned to do that, which was to pray um, together. It took us about five years, I think for that to feel kind of normal, just in case any one of you finds that difficult in your own marriage. Um, But then as we did, we started to do it more often and we would pray for each other. We would pray for um, our kids. We would pray for our circumstances. We prayed for many of you uh, in our church family. And then when it would come to like whether those prayers got answered or not, this whole glass half full, half empty thing would come up. I'm someone who would tend to want to see that, oh yeah, this prayer was answered. And even if it wasn't kind of directly answered, it'd be like, yeah, but maybe God did that because of this and this other answer to prayer where honestly sometimes Jen would say, no, that's just, it just is not an answer to prayer. Like that's, you're just, you're not in touch with reality. And, and I think it brought up this question sort of like that maybe many of us have been through sort of, I prayed and there's either two, one of two uh, realities, either God came through or he didn't come through. And that would sometimes even create conflict or just even conflict within me or with, with each other is saying, well, no, that's clearly a situation where God did come through, or that's clearly a situation where he didn't. There is um, no middle ground.
1: It's true, and I bet that you guys have experienced this too. Like maybe you're like Vijay, the eternal optimist, where your faith is always right there, ready to accept whatever prayer that you're praying for is happening. Or maybe um, you're a little bit, you know, kind of overly optimistic about things when they happen. Maybe you're actually like me and a little, little more honest about reality. Maybe um, you can kind of question or be skeptical about miracles and answers to prayer. Or maybe you actually find you're like both of us. Sometimes you see the glass is half full, sometimes the glass is half empty. And you know, it doesn't matter too much when you're praying for things like God to bless your food or to give you sunny weather on your vacation. But when you're praying for stuff that you really care about, for personal requests, things that you uh, really need, that's when your response can become a little more complicated. And especially when the prayers that you're praying for have not been answered for a long time and you've been waiting on God. And especially when it's a prayer of something that you desperately need, something that you just can't do without or that you're so afraid of losing. Like when you're praying for your health or or the health of a loved one, or when you're praying to have a child, or when you're praying for your children, for their futures and for their well-being, for your dreams and your hopes for them. Or when you're praying for your own future, your, your job, your schooling, um, financial security, all of these things are things that are really important to us. And um, when you're praying for those things, the answer that whether God came through or didn't come through is going to carry a lot more weight with it.
0: I wonder if some of you, well, I know actually some of you, that was where you got off the faith train. There was something you prayed for and, and God didn't come through. I know I've had good friends who told me that even as children, that they prayed for things that they were sure God would answer and he didn't. And it was the end of the line for them when it came to their faith with God. Now, maybe some of you would say, well, no, it wasn't the end of the line. I I don't not believe anymore. Um, But it's left you stuck. Um, you've been trying to maybe um, maybe feel like you go through theological gymnastics to try to explain what God might've been doing and why he didn't. Or maybe you just feel yourself recoil a bit when people would say, oh, we should pray about that. Or you should just have faith that it's affected you somehow and that you're stuck between some of these realities of God did come through, God didn't come through. Those are the only two options. But um, what if there was actually a third option? Uh, The scripture passage we're gonna be looking at today um, is one where, um, you know, what Jesus himself actually um, does all kinds of miracles. If you step back and actually look at the biographies of Jesus, it seems like so many of them are, Uh, about situations where God came through. Somebody had a need, someone prayed, they came to Jesus. And it's like, you know, the highlight reel of God answering prayer. Um, And even the passage we're gonna look at today is one of the, maybe one of the most uh, incredible miracles Jesus does. But there's something within this text that I actually think offers us uh, something more than just the God came through, God didn't come through, actually a third option when it comes to thinking about our situations and praying through the things that are close to our heart. And so we're going to run this video, it's an animated uh, video of the scripture, and I want you to watch, and and you're going to watch the story that is told for us actually um, in the Gospel of John. But even as you're watching the story, listen for what Jesus says as a potential sort of third way to think about the reality of prayer and our needs in our own life. As you watch that story, I wonder if you caught it. You know, clearly this is a situation um, where uh, someone close to Jesus is sick and then actually dies and there's this incredible miracle of resurrection but there's something that Jesus says in the conversation with Lazarus' sisters that actually was inviting them and invites us now as readers, um, you know, a couple centuries, or several centuries later, to consider a different option, a third option. And here's what Jesus says. He says, it, this is the situation with Lazarus, his sickness that led to death, is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. This is Jesus' response to his friends who are coming to him in a dire situation with something that went from bad to worse to um, impossibly worse, like the worst case scenario. And as they were trying to understandably um, uh, focus on their events and their needs and what was going on, Jesus was actually saying something to them, inviting them in to think about and see their current circumstances in light of something else, this thing called God's glory. And it was actually something he was inviting them to experience. But even as we hear that word, maybe if you've grown up in church or whatever, you might associate it with, oh, like worship, we give God glory and things like that. Or maybe uh, if you ha- don't have a faith background, and think, yeah, what is the glory of God? Well, actually, according to scripture, and we need to understand because this is the reality that Jesus was inviting them and us to actually consider. The glory of God is what we would say is God's essence or his being Um, which incorporates his goodness, his beauty, his greatness, his worth, and his weight. Not not actually like how much does God weigh, but like the gravity of God, the, the greatness of God, like all of who he is, how weighty he is. This is all that's captured in this idea of the glory of God. And here's what Jesus was doing. They were understandably so consumed with and focused on this situation that they were in, that they were grieving about, that they needed Jesus to come through for. But in response to them, Jesus says, okay, but I want you to consider something else that's going on here that is potentially more than just, Jesus, you came through, Jesus, you didn't come through. He says this glory of God is the reality that he was inviting them to consider.
1: So I actually think we could demonstrate this or depict it with a Venn diagram. I don't know if you guys know, but I'm a math teacher and um, mathematicians sometimes use this model just to represent different events, so just bear with me while I nerd out on you for a few minutes. So if we can picture God's glory as one event and our joy and well-being as another event, sometimes we picture it like this, where there's God's glory over there, our joy over here, and they are mutually exclusive events, which means that one is not able to occur while the other one's happening. So if God is getting glory, then you are not getting joy. And if you are joyful and, and well, like being well, you, God's glory is actually not happening. And this is how I used to think when I was a kid. I actually thought that if I really wanted something, that God was probably going to give me the opposite. It's like Jesus saying to you, okay, I know you really want that, but for God's glory, we're going to do this. But we might actually think of this a little bit differently. We might take these two circles and intersect them. And if we picture it like this, now we have God's glory and your joy intersecting in the middle. And so sometimes there's a a moment where your joy happens at the same time as God's glory. So in that little sliver in the middle, God gets what he wants and you get what you want. But there's still this whole section out here where your joy is outside of God's glory. And that section out there where God's glory does not include your joy. Well, I actually think when Jesus says to Martha in this story, this is for the glory of God, that he's actually telling her that there's something much bigger going on than what you're seeing right now. And that actually he wants her to picture it like this, that God's glory includes your joy, but there is so much more to it. And he's trying to reinterpret their circumstances in light of this third category of God's glory. If
0: I could put it into uh, Jen uses math, I use words, okay. Jesus and God's glory is the bigger story. Like there's their situation, which he was not ignoring, which he was attentive to and actually involved in. And they were needing joy to come through because something tragic was going on in their lives. But Jesus was saying to them, yeah, but there's a bigger story, not a different one, not something over here, like John said, separate, but there's something bigger of which this story is a part of God's glory is the bigger story. And, and I think there's actually clues in the text to help us understand well, what does this mean and how what, how could that relate to my life as I'm working through my own things you're working through your own things that you're praying for and waiting for how is God, God's glory the bigger story in your life well one of the things you'll note in this is it, it was like Jen was saying God, Jesus was reinterpreting their story in light of God in light of God's glory and one of the most significant ways he does this is if you notice he says um, you know they find out Lazarus is dead and Jesus Jesus says, no, he's not dead. He's just sleeping. Mm-hmm. Now in the ancient world, they used the word sleep uh, interchangeably with death in the sense that they would refer to death as sleep. But clearly the disciples, it wasn't always used that way because they think Jesus actually means Lazarus is sleeping. They're like, oh, well then if he's sleeping, let's just go wake him up. And Jesus is like, no, no. Okay. He's dead. Like, this is a bad thing. And, and but Jesus already was redefining death into this thing called temporary sleep. He says, look, in your life, in your world, death is the end. Death is the worst thing that could possibly happen. Death is the final, it's period, full stop, it's over. And Jesus says, yeah, but in my world, in the glory of God, death becomes temporary sleep. And that's why he says something so beautiful. I'm gonna go wake him up. Mm -hmm. You see, even in the ancient world, they would have used these terminologies, maybe they would sleep, but nobody said this. You know, when they said someone's asleep, they're dead. It's over. And Jesus says, no, in light of the glory of God, the way God works in the realm, in the world, according to God, God's greatness, God's beauty, God's goodness, God's weight, sleep or death becomes temporary sleep and I am going to wake him up. This is the first clue of Jesus inviting them to see what was going on in their lives in light of this bigger reality of the glory of God. But then he goes on and as, you know, as Martha says to him, oh, like, um, uh, uh, the the brother's dead she's pretty much sure that that's that's the end of the story jesus says this to her i am martha the resurrection and the life and this was a statement that again was trying to get her to see her circumstances in something much greater and he says this about himself not just I do things. I am. I am the resurrection and the life. What do those words mean? Well, as we understand them, we actually start to understand what does it mean—the glory of God—and how is it bigger than the story that we are in. The word resurrection actually comes from the Greek word anastasis, and it, it literally means for something to be raised up or to brought brought back or brought back up again. And Jesus here is talking about the physical death, and physical resurrection of Lazarus. And we know that because he actually goes and raises Lazarus from the dead. Um, Dave was saying in the in the KJV version, you know, when it says, like, was he actually dead? That he had been dead for four days. The King James, which is the old English, they actually say, when Jesus says, let's move the stone away, they, it says, no, he stinketh. <laughs> which is kind of funny, but um, it was like, no, he was actually dead. And Jesus says, no, I'm the resurrection of the life. I have the power to actually take someone who was dead who's been in a tomb for four days and raised them to life. So he was talking about physical life being raised from the dead. But then he says this, but I am the life. And if you've been around our church before, you've heard me preach on this many times because it's so significant. It's from the Greek word zoe. This doesn't mean about, you know, your biological sort of blood through your veins, breathing kind of life. This is about when we say life to the full, when I say, oh, I feel so alive in me. Jesus says, I am both the resurrection, the one who can raise physical life from the dead, but I am also the life. I am the source of vitality. I am the one that makes you truly and fully alive. And this is what is so amazing about the glory of God. It's not this abstract, impersonal kind of something to do with making sure God gets his due of worship. He's saying, no, you're going through a situation of life and death right now. In fact, life that has moved to death and it is the end. But I am the resurrection and the life. I both have the power to raise dead things to life and I can do it also from the inside of you, the Zoe, bring the Zoe life out of you that you become alive, that I'm the one that represents those that are truly and fully alive, that even death becomes temporary sleep. And in me, you can have life, which is amazing. And it was amazing for them. And as as tragic as the death of Lazarus was, the reality is they only had to wait four days and their brother came back to life again. But I know in my life, and I'm sure in many of your lives, Most of the things you have prayed for, you've actually been waiting longer than four days for. It's been months and years. There's been things that you say, that's actually past the point of no return. So what does this mean for us? How do we understand our story in light of God's glory. If God's glory is the bigger story, not something disconnected from our joy, but actually so connected to it, how do we, as we are people in the middle of it, how do we wait and, and actually begin to, could, is this something we could actually experience now?
1: Well, the good news is, yes, it is. We can actually experience the glory of God, his essence, the Zoe life that we're talking about here, part of God's beauty um, in the waiting when we have a personal encounter with Jesus. And in the story that we read today, we can see that personal encounter because Jesus has it with uh, Mary and Martha, a personal encounter with God's glory while we wait for the rest of the story. And so when you read the text and actually look closely at how Jesus speaks with Martha and Mary, you can see that. He's actually a really close friend of theirs. It says in the text that Jesus loved Martha and he loved Mary and Lazarus. He was like a close family friend, not, you know, a stranger asking asking him for prayer. When he came to their house, he was a close friend coming to talk to them. And... um, he speaks to them both when they're in their time of need. They're both grieving. They're both, they have just lost their brother. They're both in a, a painful time and uh, you know, kind of going through the same thing. Yet Jesus, when he speaks to them, treats them totally differently. They have completely different encounters with Jesus. So Martha comes to Jesus first and she says, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. And I think she kind of means, you know, Jesus, you could have healed him. Why didn't you come through? Why weren't you here? I I feel like I can't I can't say that to you because that wouldn't be polite. So I'm just going to state that you weren't there, (laughs) and and she doesn't really know how to ask, but that's what she really wants to know. And then right after that, she says, "But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask." And even here, I think she's thinking, um, it's not polite to ask you for what I really want. Um, which is that you would do something now. Could you heal Lazarus now? Could you bring him back from the dead? Um, But I can't ask that, so I'm just going to ask you to ask God for whatever you want. You know, Jesus hears what she says, but then also he understands her heart and what her underlying question might be. And he addresses it directly, and he answers her and says, your brother will rise again. That's the question she really wanted to ask, and Jesus answers it right away. So then uh, Martha's still not sure what he really means by that. So she says this. She says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And so the Jewish people believed that there would be a resurrection day and everyone would rise from the dead again. So she was saying, Okay. I know that there is a resurrection day. Are you talking about that day? Like, are you just talking about how we're going to rise, you know, we're all going to rise together and Lazarus will rise then? Or are you actually talking about today? Are you going to do something now? Are you going to come through for me? And so that's her underlying question. And there's even a deeper question under there too. And Jesus knows that this is a time to challenge Martha to a deeper level of faith. Her underlying question underneath all of that is, what is the full extent of your power? How how much power do you really have and how much do you love us? Would you do this thing for us? And then so Jesus answers her and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he challenges her and asks her a question. He says, do you believe this? Mm. He's calling her now to a deeper level of faith. Are you ready to believe in who I am even though you haven't seen it yet? And this is enough for Martha. She just says, Lord, I believe that you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God sent into the world. And that's it. She's done. She's got her answer. She's good to go. And she abruptly ends the conversation and goes to get her sister, Mary. You know, Jesus knew that what Martha needed was a conversation. She needed a safe place to ask some questions. And She didn't even feel safe to ask them. She kind of said some things. And Jesus knew what she really was asking and answered those questions for her. But Mary had a whole different need, and her conversation with Jesus was totally different. When she hears that Jesus is there, she runs out to him and falls at his feet. And then she says the same thing that Martha says. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And again, it implies this idea that, God, you did not come through. I can't say it, but I I feel it. Why did you not come through? And so she seems to have some underlying questions as well. But Jesus knows that she actually doesn't need an answer to her questions. She needs something different. And instead of saying anything, he just totally ignores her statement and any underlying questions. He doesn't even address them or answer them. Instead, he's just immediately moved and he weeps with her. It says, Jesus wept. He just enters in with her and grieves with her. He doesn't scold her like a cold-hearted theologian. Some of us picture God like this theologian who would say, well, why are you crying? Don't you know I can heal him? Don't you know I've actually raised other people from the dead? You know, haven't you, um, do you have no faith? Do you not believe that I have the power to do this? No, he doesn't scold her because she doesn't need a scolding right now. She's just watched her brother suffer and die Mm. and she needs someone to comfort her, someone to be alongside her and cry and weep with her. So Jesus does that for her. And you know, Jesus knew that in a few minutes, he was gonna resurrect Lazarus from the dead and then everyone, all their tears would turn to tears of joy. And that was gonna happen in just a few minutes. He also had said earlier in the text that he was glad that he wasn't there to heal Lazarus. He actually was excited that God's glory was going to be be shown through this miracle that he was going to do. He knew what was going to happen, but he set all of that aside and entered right in with Mary in her place of grieving and in her pain. So Mary and Martha both got to see the glory of God while they were waiting. It was only four days, but they saw his glory by the way that he entered in with them. And he gave Martha an opportunity to, to discuss it and, and answer some questions, and he gave her truth. And then for Mary, he wept with her and showed her that God, this is a God that is like no other God, one that enters into our pain and is not afraid to grieve with us. And Jesus knows that you and I also need different things. We all have different needs. We all have different underlying questions. And he's able to meet the questions that we, that we ask him and, and the ones that we don't ask him, the unspoken needs that we have in our hearts. And as Vijay said already, their waiting period was very short. They waited four days for their prayer to be answered. And for us, we wait sometimes a lot longer than that. Sometimes we wait years, decades, even a lifetime for a prayer that we're praying for. But even though we might have to wait a little longer than them, Jesus still offers us a personal encounter with his resurrection and and, and Zoe kind of life. He offers us dialogue without judgment, comfort in our grief, a hand hand to hold or someone to carry us through um, our difficult times and even sometimes challenge us to uh, a deeper level of faith with him
0: you know, if God's glory is the bigger story in our lives, sometimes this can make us feel like, oh, so you're making all this difficult things happen so that you can sort of make yourself more glorified. And I don't think it's like that. And that's not actually how it went down in, in the story. It is to say, though, that God is always inviting us to share his perspective and to see things from his view and to recognize that what is going on in our life right now is not the full story and it's not the end of the story. And so while we wait, because we're all waiting, We want to invite you to to say, this is actually can be our story too, that we can have a personal encounter with God's glory, not in sort of a lofty kind of uh, theological sort of way, um, but actually like, like Jen described in these personal encounters of Jesus coming close to Mary and to Martha and to us too, while we wait for the rest of the story, while we wait for resolution to come, while we wait for resurrection life to come, while we wait for the Zoe life to come up within us, it actually comes through Jesus saying, I want you to invite you to experience this now. And so what we're going to do as we close our service together is actually lead you through a prayer exercise. And this is actually something that is going to invite you to engage your imagination. And so here's what I want to say. No matter what age you are as you're watching, no matter what your faith background is, no matter what your personality is, whether you're half full, half empty, whatever, wherever you happen to be in your situation, this is one of those ways that we can actually use our imagination, not in an imaginary, like, like a fictional way, but to actually put ourselves in the place, like through a story like this, to say, and to actually give God the opportunity to come and speak with us. And so we're gonna use this scripture kind of as a pathway and Jen's gonna lead you through a prayer exercise that follows sort of a similar pattern. And the goal of this is actually to create space where you can encounter God even if you say, I don't even know if he exists. I want to invite you to engage in this. Don't say, oh, I'm more of an intellectual. Let's not let any of that be barriers for us. I want to invite you to to just take this space as she leads you through this, this morning, to not only encounter God, but to actually say, this is something I could begin to do regularly in my life because Jesus is alive and he is speaking and he does want to to meet with me. And so I'd invite you to just uh, listen and engage along as Jen leads us.
1: Okay. In the text, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So I just want you to take some deep breaths and just slow down your breathing. And as you're inhaling, you can just say in your head, Jesus. And as you're exhaling, say, I know you love me. Jesus, I know you love me. So now just picture yourself at home. You're alone and you're in a safe and a quiet space. And then think about something that you've been praying about. Something about which you haven't got a clear response from God. It may be for a health issue like Mary and Martha were praying for. Or it may be about a desire you have or a worry or a constant struggle in your life. It may be a tragic event or a loss that you just can't seem to come to terms with. Maybe you've been asking God about it for days or months or even years. If you can't think of anything, ask God to put something in your mind that he wants to talk about today. Perhaps there's a prayer in your spirit that you haven't even voiced yet, but God wants to engage with you on it. So whatever it is that comes up for you, just pray about it again and keep imagining yourself in that place while you pray. So after you've voiced your prayer, ask Jesus to affirm to you that he heard you, that he knows about your situation. And listen to him tell you that he's aware of your struggle or your worry or your pain. Now picture Jesus coming to the door of your house and go to the door and greet him. Do you approach him like Martha, asking him why he wasn't there, why he hasn't answered your prayer, why he has taken so long to come? Or do you approach him like Mary, running to him and falling at his feet in grief? And don't judge yourself for how you approach him. Either approach is completely appropriate. There's no right way to approach God in our pain. What is right is that you are coming to Him, not how you are coming to Him. After you picture how you would approach Jesus coming to your door, then listen for his response. Does he engage with your questions like he did for Martha, an intellectual dialogue helping you learn something from this experience? Or is he deeply moved in his spirit and he weeps with you? Take a few minutes to observe his response to you. See, Picture him weeping with you or answering your questions or dialoguing. Now imagine yourself following Jesus to the place or person where your struggle, pain, worry, or loss occurs. This may be an actual gravesite of someone you have lost, or it might be the home of a person that you're praying about, or maybe it's a location where the tragic event occurred, or it could be the place in your own home where you often pray about it. If you're not sure where to go, ask Jesus to take you to a place or a memory, and then just follow him there. And then when you get there, ask Jesus, what do you want to show me here? What do I need to believe? Is there a bigger picture that I need to become aware of? And listen for his response. Is he bringing something back to life in you? Is he speaking words of life to you? Does he ask you to believe something? Is there a desire or dream that is just asleep, but you had thought it was dead? Maybe he draws your attention to a miracle he is doing. Now just take a moment to thank Him for anything that He's revealed to you today.
0: If you uh, have checked out our website, um, we have a thing called Reconnect, which is our daily blog. And the blogs are written to help you understand scripture more Um, and just to sort of um, try to uh, know what you're reading, to see God in it. So actually this week, what we're going to do is we're going to have five different days of different prayer exercises like the one Jen just took us through. And the goal really is just to encourage you to continue to make space for you to encounter God and for him to come to you. And so whether that was something totally new for you or you struggled a little bit through it, that's okay. Maybe your thoughts were moving around or you weren't sure that I hear it. That's okay. This is a practice we want to continue to engage in as we know that God is alive and actually wants to meet with us. That we read scripture, not primarily for information, but for encounter, because God is alive. And so I'd encourage you to use that this week as you go through to try this at home. See, the interesting thing about Lazarus is even though four days later, it wasn't a long period of time for his sisters to wait, he came back to life. The truth is he died again. And as far as we know, he's still dead. There's no Lazarus impersonator conferences in uh, Vegas or something like that. Or people say, I thought I saw Lazarus. Nobody does that. He's dead. That rising from the dead was actually only temporary. And now he waits along with all the rest of us who are waiting for the fullness of God's promise of resurrecting life to come. It isn't here yet. And so I want to encourage you to take heart that while you wait for God to bring it, see, they could have never imagined the resolution. For them, the best case scenario was he gets healed and he doesn't die. And then after that had come, they thought, well, well now we don't know what to do. They had no idea what God has in, had in store for them. And um, not not just what was going to happen to their brother, but the personal encounter they were going to have. And so I just want to encourage you and invite you as you do that to say, okay, God, you are able, while I wait for that resurrection, the true resurrection of my body and all of the things that are broken to be made new, you can actually begin to make me alive even now. The dead things in me, the lost things in me, the broken things in me to become alive again. And so the worship team is actually going to lead us in a song called Resurrecting. And it's basically saying, God, Jesus, you who are the resurrected King, can you make me alive too? Um, And some of you can say and sing that with confidence and joy and expectation. Others of us, we may feel like my faith is hanging by a thread. Let this be a prayer to say, Jesus, you're alive. Can you make me alive again? And so I'd invite you to, as you go, I just want to bless you. I want to bless you with an experience of new life coming up inside you that the things that have been broken or lost or dusty or even dead, that you would, even this morning, even as you've heard the songs, even as you've sung and even as you've listened to God's word, that something alive in you is is happening again. And just to know that that's something God is doing. And so uh, go in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Have a great day.